Welcome. I am Dr. Renee Sunday, and I am the platform builder. You are listening to Good Deeds Radio. We thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. You know, first of all, we're going to take a time out to say thank you, thank you, thank you personally to you, you, and you, because you take the time out to tune in every time we come on. You download our podcast on iTunes. You actually uh, look at us on YouTube, and on our website, social media, it's everywhere. You are a true family, <laughs> and we thank you for that. Here at Good Deeds, what we do like is supporting other people as well. So continue to let us know about the many things that you're doing, and that's why this platform was started, because we want to help you shine that light to the world, and that light is your dream goals, your passions, your purpose, the reason you were born. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yes, yes, yes. But, ooh, I'm just so excited. And, you know, I am Dr. Renee Sunday, and I'm known as the platform builder. And what that is, I help you identify your purpose if you're not aware. And then we build a platform so you can be seen, be heard, guess what, and get paid. <laughs> because the thing is, we want to be in our purpose so we can actually help somebody else. That's what it's all about. Your purpose is not for you. It's actually for everybody else. Yeah, because if you and your purpose, you help somebody else in a purpose. It all works together. Isn't that amazing? Because my team just, of course, you know the drill. They just <laughs> handed me the question of the day. Um, and these are questions that you send in and they say, ask Dr. Renee. So the question for today, the question of today, and you know they always give it to me just right now, <laughs> but you know I like that because, uh, you know, I'm authentic, so I'm going to just tell you, I'm going to tell you the real deal because that's just the way we roll here. Good But the question is, Dr. Renee, we have heard through you sharing your story that you grew up in poverty, that you grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and they said, well, how did you shape, if you will, and I'm just using paraphrasing, uh, your mindset to go from that to what you are now? Um, you know, because people know in my story I went from six figures to zero in one day, and, of course, I just love it that God always bounced back, and he bounced back with what? With more. He's, he, <laughs> he loves to multiply, right? But I'm not boasting in that because, you know, I'm a cheerful giver. You know that. You know that. But um, that was the question. So we had a long conversation, of course, about that. But I just want to share just quickly, quickly. Uh, my parents, um, they were the real deal. They did not spare the rod, okay? So I did, get, <laughs> I did get the whippings. I did get those type of things. It was no time out back then. But I had a great structure, and my structure was Christian-based, faith-based. Uh, we did go to church all the time, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I know y'all going to say, really? Yes, I did. Um, and also at home was, was very structured. Um, we ate together as a family at every meal. Um, my mom was pretty much uh, just like a lot of families, the main disciplinary, because my dad worked a lot. But dad did not. He always spent time with us. He always, he taught me how to uh, change a tire. He taught me how to do so many things uh, that helped me as a, a lady. But the first thing he did show me is how a man should treat a, 
a lady, you know, a girl, or, you know, or a teenager, those type of things. So my dad taught me all that. But the thing is, they wanted to know how I shifted, if you will, the mindset of that. And so basically, it was my family background. My parents did not uh, allow me to give up or cave in. I did go through the bullying. I think you guys know my story on that. I did go through bullying. I came home to tell my parents about it. Of course, they, uh, you know, took it to the school, but they told me that I was beautiful and I was wonderful made, that I could do whatever mm-hmm, that I put my mind to. But they actually gave me great structure. Uh, my parents was always at the school, <laughs> and um, I, I made it. I mean, I, I did a great job, and my parents did a great job. Um, as you know, I was class valedictorian, um, the 12th grade, and I was, what was I in the 8th grade? The 8th grade, I was the president of the class, and then I was in the band, the session leader for three years, you know, a whole bunch of things. But the thing about it is I give all that to God, number one. Number two, my my parents, they really structured me in the things that I had to do and what I had to say. And I look back on it, and I love it, I love it, because now I can help other people and tell them in that story of how, uh, you know, where you, what the Bible said, did anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, it did. <laughs> okay. And then that can happen to you as well, no matter what your past is. That's what I want to let you know. You can actually do whatever you put your mind to. Okay. Now send questions in. You know I'm going to answer the question, right? But we have to, we have to, we have to get to our amazing, amazing guest that's with us today. You know, I just, I just love to, to, to read the, this bio, but just, Briefly, uh, Dr. Paul Miller is the author and principal of and CEO of Green Tech High Charter School. Dr. Paul Miller has emerged as one of the most sought-after and innovative leaders in urban education. He is the author and, as I said, the principal and the CEO of Green Tech High Charter School, guess what, in Albany, New York, a school that takes some of the most at-risk minority boys and turn them into what? Scholars. Amen. I love it. His expertise in mindset. You see my team, how they do me? Mindset development, school system and revitalization, and educational leadership attracts administrators, teachers, community leaders across this nation who are seeking ways to keep youth more engaged in education and to increase, guess what, academic achievement. I love it diligently working to eliminate the so-called, you know what it's called, achievement gap. He is a powerful voice and authority on issues pertaining to the social, economic, and educational welfare of the urban and minority communities. So much so that he has been invited to speak and present several workshops on various national platforms that we know greatly. Bishop T.D. Jakes. The great media great himself, Roland Martin, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and many, many, many more. The thing about it is, I just love it that he actually is there, the present. He's there to actually, what we, you see something that's not going right, you take action, and I love it. But we want to welcome, welcome none other than the amazing, the world changer himself, Dr. Paul Miller. Are you there? Yes, welcome, Dr. Miller. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? 
Yes, let's pause just a minute. Dr. Miller, uh, turn your volume up a little bit. My The team says it's um, doing a little something. Can you hear me? My volume is uh-huh. up all the way. Yeah. Yes, okay. that's it, Dr. Miller. Welcome to Good Deeds. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me. I'm. Uh, it's an honor and privilege to be on your show. Wow. So you know, I didn't do good justice. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, and and, and the just the you know just the you're just doing you. I know, but the amazing things that you're doing in your area, and of course in this whole world. Well, thank you. So. Just a little bit about me. I am originally from Rochester, New York. So Rochester, New York is uh, uh, Western New York, which also Rochester, New York, just a little bit about where I'm from, the highest murder rates per capita in New York State, uh, sometimes top 10 in the country. It is the fifth poorest city in the country. It is uh, the last time they published graduation rates for black males. It was at 9%. Um, it was nominated the seventh most dangerous place in the country. So Rochester is a pretty, uh, 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 it's a pretty adverse place. And so I'm from the middle of the projects in Rochester, New York, and I grew up there in a single-parent household and where uh, I know you were telling a little bit about your story. I grew up in a single-parent household where uh, my mother did the best she could. However, she was a victim of domestic violence. Um, we lost our house. We moved to the projects. We would live next to the crack house. Um, my stepfather was addicted to drugs. And so for me, I knew I wanted different and I wanted to uh, get out. And and part of me getting out, it was following God's plan. And part of God's plan for me has always been, I believe, to help people and to specifically help kids and try to give back to people who come after and even before me and just try to uh, work to change the systems to make sure that education runs well. And so I knew that God had a plan for me. And so I, I was uh, a teacher for a while, and I, I got kind of bored with being a teacher, but I also saw that I couldn't make the changes that I wanted to make. So I went back to school and got a master's degree in administration, and then I was a vice principal for a while, and I went back to school and got my doctorate degree in executive leadership, and I've been the CEO and principal over at Green Tech High School for the last seven years. And throughout my tenure here, uh, our average graduation rate is well over 90%. Last year it was at 95%. We had 100% acceptance to college. Um, and we had millions and millions in scholarship money, I believe over $7 million in scholarship money, for a school full of all black males. So my demographics at Green Tech High are 97% males, uh, 97% black males, 100% males, and we're an all-boys school in Albany, New York, that faces over 87% poverty, yet we're producing rates that are um, higher than most private schools. And so we're producing, and we're able to make things happen. So a lot of the systems that, that I've uh, tr- true and tried over the years, we've put in place to make sure that we're successful here. And I also write about them in my, in my books. I have two books um, where I discuss various topics. And um, just throughout the course of these last almost 20 years in education, I've worked to try to make sure that um, wherever I'm at and even where I'm not at in helping people to build uh, a legacy for young men and young women, but especially our young men and trying to get them to a place where education is their priority. 
Wow. First of all, I commend you. Ooh, Dr. Miller, Dr. Miller. Purpose is, is, is something else, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you've got to listen to what God wants. Oh, wow. Well, let me ask you this because, um, you know, uh, and, I, and I'll be very transparent, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I wonder when I was going to have an opportunity to say this publicly, so it's now. I realized as, uh, as, as life happens, number one, and the different journeys that I've been on, talking to so many people, uh, you know, interviewing and just being out in the community, the type of poverty, like you just said, what I went through was totally different. It's different stages, if you will. I don't know if anybody had actually pinned this or not, but it's different stages of growing up, if you want to say growing up in the hood or poverty, because what I came up, as I just said, what did I just say? I had my mom and dad in my home, but I didn't, I, I did have one pair of shoes. <laughs> you know, I didn't have all that, but we did have the, uh, and I would just be honest, we did have the fighting dogs in our neighborhood. We did have the drugs. My parents told us that, um, they were having a church meeting in front of the <laughs> in front of the church, in front of the uh, the, the, the uh, convenience store, and you know we believe that to a certain extent, you know. But talking to people, interviewing people, it was a rude awakening to me, Dr. Miller, that in different stages or different, you know. And we shouldn't do that. I know put things in a category, but it really is because it's totally different uh, in one area versus what you said. And you said before you implemented this divine appointment on your life, it was only 9% graduated from high school. That, that was in my hometown in Rochester, New York. And in your so hometown? I, that, yeah, my hometown. And here in Albany, New York, when I got here, it was around 57%. And so uh, after I was here, um, for one year we went up to about 80-something percent, and then we've been anywhere between – typically 85 and 95 percent graduation rate so last year we were at 95 percent and we graduated um 95 percent 100 percent acceptance of college every year i've been here um every kid who graduates gets accepted to college we had a matriculation rate for students um of actually attending college at uh it was 99 percent higher than the rest of the state so you know we, we we do our thing around here we got a lot of good people and a lot of good systems well, well, let's peel back the layer a little bit. Of course, we need to actually consult you for consultation, and, and of course, we need to, you know, buy all your books out. <laughs> it really needs to be all over the world. Um, what's the, the, a couple of things that you can share that, you know, I'm going to just, you know, be real, like my audience always like me to do. How is it really working there for you? I mean, what is, because uh, I know it goes both ways. But as adults, right. as being the teachers or being the parents, what are they doing that, to be honest, we need to be doing everywhere? So so when I break a school down, I break it into four categories. And so, and these are best practices that not just I would say, but research says all, all as well. And so the best practices, and it's not about the money that gets put into the school. It's not about the school building. The the first and foremost thing that is is important to running an effective school is building relationships, um, and building relationships with students, and and building appropriate relationships between staff as well. And so the relationships are the driving force. A lot of our kids come in 
And because of the adverse situations that they live in, they're very relationship-driven. So they're searching and they need um, different aspects of their lives. They need things met. And so our teachers have to be trained on how to build relationships. They have to understand the importance of it. They have to understand that even though they may at times come from different demographic backgrounds, they have to understand and empathize, not sympathize, but they have to be able to empathize and understand what our young men go through and be able to meet them where they're at. And so it's being taught that and the way that the teachers are trained and even from leadership to teachers to um, to our parents and trying to build those those healthy relationships with our young men so that their young men do feel safe and can establish trust so that they can learn from our teachers. You know, that's the first typical thing, and so it's it's training the teachers to be able to have those relationships. The second thing that is crucial is how instruction is delivered, and so the delivery of instruction is crucial and important. And I just had a conversation with a teacher uh, today who had an observation last week, and some of the points that I'm trying to get them to enter into their lessons, um, we've been trying to do that for a while, but teachers get comfortable in doing what they've been doing. And uh, what I'm trying to get them to understand is it's about engaging critical thought. It's about delivery of instruction produces um, like a student-centered learner. One uh, delivery of instruction that is um, – is not where the teacher is the keeper of the knowledge, is not the gatekeeper, but instead teaching a kid to think like they think. And so uh, the important piece is to make sure that the delivery of instruction and, and how we deliver it, that teachers are planning. Because if you, if you don't plan, you're going to plan to fail. In so many schools, lesson plans aren't required. You know what I mean? They're not required. So we get teachers, and, and this is not a knock on teachers because teachers are one of the most honorable professions, and the teachers are the heartbeat of any building. So, so necessary and important. But for that heart to be strong, they have to be, they have to be planning, and they have to be efficient at planning. And the better the plan is, the better the lesson is going to be. If a teacher pulls out a plan that they've been using for 20 years and haven't modified it and haven't changed it or haven't based on what their class's needs are, you're going to probably not get the best results. And so it's about the way that you're delivering instruction. That's two. The third thing that I feel that is crucial and that a lot of schools talk about, and they only do it for the show, so they do it based on the district report, but they don't do it to really inform instructional decisions is how you use data. So we have some intricate systems on how we use data here that we've built over the years to inform our instructional decisions. And so you're taking those data, that, that data set, and using it to form instructional decisions, and then it, it changes the way that you deliver instruction based on the data that you're receiving. And then last but not least mm-hmm. is the being accountable. So the accountability piece. Now, in so many schools, the accountability is just looking at the student's accountability. But teachers need to be accountable. Uh, staff need, uh, other staff need to be accountable. Leadership needs to be accountable. Students need to be accountable, and so do parents. And so it's building in systems that are inclusive and trying to hold everybody uh, accountable so where they're holding themselves accountable and setting these high standards where people don't want to disappoint and let each other and their colleagues down. Um, They don't want to let their students down. Students don't want to let teachers down. And so having a high level of accountability. Now, don't get me wrong. None of this is uh, is a perfect system. This is the good fight that gets fought every day. But what is different 
between uh, where um, I'm at and maybe some other places is that we never are, we're never going to stop fighting. So just because we tried something and it didn't work, we're going to find another way to go over it, around it, through it, because it's a, a lot of it is about the mi- mindset and not allowing failure mm-hmm. to hold us back. And it's not failure until you quit. And so uh, this, those are some of, those are the main systems uh, that the main points. And then we have systems built in with each one of those uh, main points that help us run a successful um, school building that may be different than some other places. And the difference is instead of just talking about it, you know, they say don't talk about it, be about it. Uh, we make sure that we're being about it. Mm, that's just so powerful, Lord. I just have a because I just recently heard this maybe about three or four months ago, um, and this is one of uh, in in Alabama. Well, I don't know if it's the whole state. Let me just say it was in some parts of Birmingham, Alabama, that they don't do standardized testing anymore. And I know that charter schools, you know, sometimes runs a a little different, different curriculum, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do, what type of system or just overall curriculum do you have? Do you have uh, the grading system, or is it more of a, uh, you know, I heard people say pass, fail, those type of things in different high schools and stuff right. now. <laughs> so what, what works for your system? Right. So that's a good question. So um, the uh, charter schools, is is higher than that for the traditional public school because we're still a public school. We're just a charter public school. And so New York State and Massachusetts typically have the highest accountability rates for uh, charter schools. And so I have standards that New York State says I have to meet. And then uh, the governing body, which is the um, SUNY, which is the State University of New York and universities, they govern they govern um, most of the charter schools and then uh, the Department of Education uh, I believe SED uh, um, governs the other half. And so I'm governed by SUNY. So SUNY gives me an accountability plan where I not only have to meet New York State standards, but I also have to meet SUNY standards. So, for example, passing in New York State to, to pass is a 65, typically for um, classes and typically for what they call regents exams. So that's the state testing here in New York State. So for myself in New York State, we have uh, we have to pass those regents exams with a 65, but then my 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 SUNY accountability plan states that I have to have 65% of my kids scoring at 80 or better on math, and I have to have a, a 65% of my kids scoring at 80 or better on English exams. And so, if I don't meet these accountability, then they look to shut us down here in New York State. Also, I have to have over 75% of my kids graduate. Um, I have to have um, certain college acceptance and other rates that we have to authentically produce or we won't maintain open. So to do that, we have to uh, – uh, we, what we do is we have to be able to pass these exams. <clears throat> now, what's interesting is this year alone, <clears throat> my population that came into me, uh, my ninth grade population that came into me, 75% of them came in under grade level with reading and math levels between first grade and 10th grade, with the majority of them on a sixth grade reading and math level. So I have to take them from that sixth grade math level and reading level <clears throat> on to being college ready. So our goal is to help them, and we put in systems that, that help push them along college that we need by reinforcing the skills that they're missing. 
Um, however, we do have to also prepare them for these exams. So there's five, there's five, at least five exams, the, the minimum that students have to pass to graduate. If they want an advanced regents diploma, they have to pass eight exams. And so uh, in New York State, 65 is passing, and I have to get them to that and above and beyond to pass these exams. So curriculum-wise, what we do is we follow the state standards, we follow state curriculum, but here we create our own curriculum based on the student's needs. So I believe teachers are the experts. And so based on the standards and based on backwards by design, which is planning backwards with the end goal in mind, uh, we, take the, uh, we take the standards and we take, uh, we take what we know as the experts and we put that into the course based on what the students need, not just going off of what the state tells us they need. Um, and then we're able to design the course based and the curriculum based on what the expert, who is the teacher, is saying that they need based on the data because we analyze uh, the regents' exams and the other data that we need of what students need to know. And we try to do that in a way that's comprehensive. So I hope that answers the question. I know that's a long answer. Oh, no, no. I, I, I really respect you being in your, your craft. I'm going to say your craft, but being in your purpose, because that, that sounds amazing. But you know what came in my, in my spirit while you were talking? This system, you know, of course, I'm on the outside looking in, this sounds right. like this would be great. I'm fortunate with so many people coming out of the, the, the system, meaning, you know, jail, you know, prison. I mean, that would, it would be somewhat similar because I think we have to restructure the mind. But then, like you just said, if, if, if so many people, from my understanding, I mean, technology, I love it, I love it, I love it. But if so many people... That's adults, you know, we're going to say adults over 18 that can't properly read. And so when we actually, you know, that's just something that came and you may want to, <laughs> something that you want to look into, because something like that system would be great with some adjustment, of course, uh, when people trying to acclimate themselves back into the system because, okay, the GED is one thing, but you got to get to the point of passing the GED, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Mm. Right. Yep. And actually, you're, you're right on. I just actually did a professional development for some teachers in Harlem that incarcerated students or students who have been incarcerated. And so uh, we just did some professional development for them and um, just trying to get them to engage the students more and try to give them a kind of a new thought process on how to provide information for the students. And so that, that turned out well. So absolutely, um, I'm definitely all on and all aboard to do whatever can be done to help people to think about education just a little bit differently and how they can engage and incorporate their students into what they're doing. Um, because at the end of the day, without the education, education is a great equalizer. So whether you could have done 20 years in prison, but if you come out and you you have a solid education and you're able to to do that and you're able to go to college and you're able to receive different degrees. I got a friend right now who he, uh, I think he did about seven years. However, he was able to come out, he got his bachelor's degree, he got his master's, and now he's starting his doctorate degree and he's an educator and he also has his administrative degree within schools people have quaintly forgot that this brother did seven years. Now, I knew this brother when we was hustling in the streets together and we was doing all kinds of things we had no business doing, and he got caught out there. But that education has put him in a spot where 
now he could provide mm-hmm. from his family and do things and give back at a different level because of the education, and he didn't allow the system to hold him back, uh, you know, because the system will hold you back. But we have to be creative and find ways mm-hmm. to uh, progress. Wow. I just love it. Dr. Miller, do us a favor because, you know, time goes by so quickly here. Uh, I love, you know, I love New York. I love New York. But, you know, with your system that you have been entrusted with and your and the amazing team and, and everyone that's playing a part in, in these young people's lives, I, I commend you. I thank you for being your purpose. But how can we, being in different states, being even in other countries, uh, how can we help get this acclimated or even into our system so we can at least start a conversation and then we can actually, you know, go from there? How can we do that? And then tell us, of course, how we can uh, contact you to come speak, come do workshops, seminars, et cetera, and then how we can actually get your publications and how we can support you on social media as well. You know what I think? The, the biggest, um, you know, information is power. So I think the biggest way that we can do this and is the first has been, and it might sound corny and generic, but it, it, having open hearts and open minds. And as adults, we get so used to doing what we do and how we do it that often we're not willing to take a step back and open our minds to do things a little bit differently, you know, and it's, and even in my book, so in my book called We Need to Do Better, Changing the Mindset of uh, Children Through Community, Family, and Education. So what I do is we go through a little bit of a historical context, and I look at the historical context and how the, the, the chains of psychological slavery have uh, still, still uh, hinder us to this day and how we can begin to change that mindset and break some of those psychological chains. And you know what? A lot of times it's not necessarily just the kid. It's the adult that's working with the kid and breaking their mindset and improving their mindset so we can help children improve theirs. And a lot of times what has happened Mm -hmm. is the kids haven't changed, the adults have changed. And so we have allowed things such as technology and other things to overtake us and we stop fighting that good fight. So a lot of it, you know, is just a matter of taking a, a, a different mindset and having an open mindset and being open to the dialogue of doing something different. And change is hard for people. You know, a lot of times people don't like change. But being willing to look at something and look at your own practice and look at, you know, just as something as simple as for my educators out there, think about when, uh, when you ask a question to your students, how many students typically answer that question? So you might ask a simple uh, mathematical question or a, a science, or you might ask them to hypothesize about something, and you typically, and what research shows you is you will typically get one to three students answer the question. But how do you know that they're all engaged? How do you know that they're all paying attention? And what if we could show you a way to ask and get all students to respond to a question at the same time and be able to then transform what they're saying into critical thought to improve uh, the nature of what you're teaching. And so, again, what I'm getting at is as an educator, even as a person, you have to be open and willing to make the changes necessary and look at your own practices. So that would be my starting point is having people look at themselves 
and being able to take what they're doing, be reflective, and be willing to be open to changing it. So you asked me where can you get my information from. So I am on uh, various, uh, I have social media, and I have my own website. So uh, if you're interested in me uh, coming to help or to support your educational institution or executive leadership coaching, um, my website is www. Now, this is a long one. I'm working on shortening this, so you got, y'all got to excuse me out there. But um, D-R-P-A-U-L-M-I-L-L-E-R, so that's Dr. Paul Miller, executiveleader.com. So it's, I know it's long. D-R, Paul Miller, executiveleader.com. And there you can get to my, um, my consultant website. You can order my books from there. Um, so you can, and my books are on, uh, all over in, uh, on Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, you can get them anywhere online. Um, my first book is, is cyberbullying, breaking the cycle of conflict. It was a qualitative study on the black with cyberbullying in an urban environment. Um, and then my second book is we need to do better changing the mindset of children through community, family, and education. Um, you can get me on Facebook, Paul Miller. EDD um, on Instagram is Doc Miller DOC Miller 42 and on Twitter is DR Paul Miller 42 so um, I'm I'm around I'm out there on social media if you uh, hit me up I, I definitely will respond you know I'm not a Sadiddy brother if you hit me up you'll get a response from me so <laughs> I, 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 I'm out here trying to do the real work and trying to do what I can to not just help my community but I uh, help others communi- other communities as well. And so my main life goal is to help promote positive change for our youth and to try to do it through education. And, um, and I'm willing to work with whomever wants to be worked with. Amen. I commend you. We thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul Miller. As I said before, thank you so much for being in your purpose. But we thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a guest here with us on Good Deeds. If you need us for anything, please, please don't hesitate to contact us. Oh, please. And thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. It's an honor and privilege. And please stay in contact if there's ever anything I can do. I'm more than willing to do it, and um, you know, let, let's let's do some good things for our community. Amen. You're right about that. Ooh, Lord have mercy, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this is dear to my heart. You know, I love speaking at the different schools, and <laughs> yeah, but I, I, you know, I, you know, I have them laughing, but I'm having tears, you know, as well. So, <laughs> but you know, this replay will be ready very, very quickly. You know, we have it on iTunes. We actually on a new platform uh, called Podbean. I mean, we didn't get a chance to promote that, but you'll see that coming through. And we're just a lot of places that you you can listen to us, download, and share with your friends and family. You know, if you want to be a guest here on Good Deeds, you know how to contact us if you want to advertise, if you want to sponsor, if you want your own radio or TV show, we can help you with that. Um, publishing, I know you want to finally get that book out, that poetry out. You want to get it out. We have different packages for that and online courses. We also have a, a grief counseling, uh, and we have books for that and actually online uh, courses so we can get you on the other side of grief. Amen? You're going to still miss them. <laughs> that is, you know, that's it. 
I still miss my brother, but you know, you got to get on that other side of grief. And what I mean by that is so you can shine your light to the world. Okay? But you know what? We love you, love you, love you here at Good Deeds. You know we love you. But I always remember you do have a calling, you have a reason you were born. You're not a mistake. You have to. Don't stop. You have to get it, get it. And what you have to get, you have to get your purpose and get your purpose now. You know, this is Good Deeds, and this is Dr. Renee Sunday. See you next time. Bye-bye.